Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tea Time with the Teacher. I am your host, JB McConney. Today is going to be a little bit different. Um, I want to apologize to Sophie, to Kelsey, um, and to the other guests that I had planned. Um, we will have your episodes posted because, of course, they were really, really good, really insightful. Um, and I really appreciate you giving your perspective, especially that international perspective that we are trying to create here in season two. However, I felt like I couldn't post those episodes right now because there's just too much to talk about going on with the world. I know that you'll probably understand as well as my audience will understand there is way too much going on, especially in Texas regarding education, teachers and students that I really do want to talk about. So the first thing that I want to talk about is about, of course, the rising cases uh, in Texas, of course, across the United States, especially in schools as students have returned to in-person learning fully with very little uh, very little guidelines. Um, and just what I've seen being able to pop into classrooms and schools, as well as what I've seen through just colleagues and friends who are working directly in one school in particular. As expected, there's just been a huge explosion in cases, both with teachers and students, as well as students' families and teachers' families. This was to be expected, especially because our amazing governor in Texas not only said, I'll let it up to the school districts to decide. No, he went a step further and says, no, I'm not going to let it up to you to decide. I'm actually going to say you cannot wear masks or cannot enforce masks, which is crazy considering, you know, Republicans, I feel like are always about local control. So why would you not allow local school districts to decide what's best for their kids um, and for their families? So naturally, because you can't enforce it, student a lot of students or some students aren't wearing masks, um, and of course they're not vaccinated. So what's happening is there's been a huge uptick in cases. I think there was, uh, you know, that case study that they had talked about where a teacher had uh, it was not vaccinated. They had taken off their mask to read a story, and then they actually spread it to the students. The students spread it to the other students around the school, and then those students spread it to their families who were also unvaccinated. And then there was um, fatal situations, and that was in a a city. I'm, I'm forgetting what city, but that was in a city with a very high vaccinated population, so no one actually died, which is just another indicator um, and encouragement that getting vaccinated is the right way to go, especially if you don't want anything hopefully too serious. A lot of the people I've talked to so far who have gotten it, just because it seems like so many people are getting it, were vaccinated and luckily were the symptoms were very, very mild. Doesn't mean they weren't at all, but much more mild than of course being in the hospital and being um, you know, fat passing away. So what's happening is the teacher will take off their mask just for instruction, just to be able to project their voice. Um, students are not wearing masks, they're spreading it to each other, and of course there's no limitation like there was last year about students moving from room to room. So students are going to the cafeteria, they're eating lunch, they're next to each other, and they're of course they're spreading it. And so teachers are calling in sick, teachers are getting COVID, teachers are getting it from their families or from the students and spreading it to their families, and then students are getting it. So I've heard from teachers and I've seen firsthand that you'll get into a class of 25 because there's no class size limitation this year. It's like we're back to normal and 10 of the students are out or five of the students are out 
and they don't tell you why i mean of course to keep their privacy but everyone knows and then you don't know should i quarantine should i go home like what's the protocol because there is no protocol there isn't and so now what's happening is there's plans to possibly go to virtual learning or some sort of hybrid structure um, or a contingency plan for if um, you know a school reaches a certain amount of cases and it's gotten to that point where teachers are starting to be trained on what it's going to be virtual teaching like are you serious are you serious that this is what it's become and you know they're not spending a professional development day training teachers on how to virtually teach if they didn't plan on using it because you wouldn't waste a day if you didn't think it was going to happen so my prediction is that in the next month or month and a half some school districts will move to virtual learning or some individual schools will move probably temporarily if there's a rise in cases which there is and which there will be it's sad to see especially when you consider i think the daily did a comparison about uh britain and about europe and it was talking about how They've just, they, they didn't really use masks. They did very frequent at-home testing. They did, um, you know, pushed vaccina vaccinations, of course. They had different policies that didn't, you know, here it's like wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, or don't even wear a mask, but it was always mask-centered. And as we know, people take them off during eating, during when you're projecting your voice as a teacher. Um, and so Britain and Europe took a different approach and it's been able to work where kids don't have to wear masks, but there's been way way lower numbers at least from what i know i'd love to talk to to my british guests um sophie will be on um here in a couple of weeks uh to get their perspective as well on on what they're doing right or even if maybe there's not going as great as the numbers show but all i know is the numbers and the numbers are way way better than what's happening here okay the kind of ironic thing with this whole mass thing and how governor abbott's talking about you know, personal liberty and DeSantis is talking about, you know, it's, it's the devil wants our kids to be masked and all that stuff. So it's like, okay, if you don't want kids to be masked, that doesn't mean that the Delta variant and everyone has to get sick, right? You could come up with alternatives if you didn't, like, I don't want students to be masked. It's incredibly hard to hear a middle school kid like mumbling under their breath. And now with a mask, you can't hear them. So you have to say, excuse me, can you speak up? Can you speak up? Of course not. Of course not. You want to see their facial expressions, their smiles, all that kind of stuff. Of course. But like, what is the problem solving? Like, what is the solution? What is the plan? You can't just say, okay, this isn't going to work because it covers our kids' faces and it infringes on our freedom. First of all, no, it doesn't. And second of all, what's your plan then? Okay. Like, how are you going to prevent the spread? And of course, it's late now because it seems like every school is plagued with numbers so if you're listening to this and you're not an educator as you could probably predict i mean if you were sitting at home and you're like okay kids are going back to school like i wonder what's going to happen especially in texas where there's no mask mandate for schools you know whatever whatever exactly your prediction as a common sense human is exactly what it turned out to be so ding 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 common sense exists and it logically played out exactly how we thought it would where do we go from here i hope there's pressure on school districts to just say hey we are going to have find our own plans and we're going to defy the government some school districts have already done that and i commend them for doing that but it's also like what is the plan for when students and as students and teachers get sick right we still don't have access to free testing for everyone like 
I know, like, test at home. Test on Saturday and Sunday before. Test a couple times a week. I think that's what the British system was. They're getting at least two to three tests a week. Even if you're vaccinated, still wear a mask, right? Different things that they have to just mandate. They just have to say, we have to do this if we want to stay in person. Anyway, and the last thing that I'll touch on, because I'm sure you're tired of hearing about COVID and masks, but it seems like they're tied together with education because we can't teach when everyone's absent, when teachers are absent, and, you know, kids are not being able to focus because they just, you know, there's way too much going on in their lives, and they're worried about getting COVID and then bringing it home to their family or their older, you know, grandparents. So the last thing I'll say about this is, the irony of saying we don't want to infringe on individual liberties. Governor Abbott, I don't even I don't even want to say Governor Abbott. Abbott, he has come out and said nothing, nothing about all this. Nothing. Not about the spread, not about the explosion in cases, nothing about what's going on in schools. But you know what he has talked about? He said, you know what, let's call a special session. No, not to come up with a contingency plan, not to change and amend our our COVID plan. But instead, he says, let's have a special session to go over. First, we got to make sure our abortion bill gets passed. So shout out to Texas for being the most restrictive state. I mean, six weeks. You're telling a woman that she can't, she doesn't have the right to choose whether or not to keep a baby after six weeks. Most, most women don't know they're pregnant after six weeks. Are you serious? So first of all, your argument that government control is not good. It's like you basically just counteracted that because you're forcing the government into women's bodies um, and basically telling people, telling women what to do, even if it endangers their life, even if they were raped or it was incest or whatever it was, you know, you can't do these things. And we're also not going to provide you access to this, knowing full well it's going to affect mainly low-income and minority um, women, right? But also, the voter voting ID bill, the voter restrictive voter ID and, um, you know, the voting rights bill. I don't even call it voting rights, anti-voting rights bill. It specifically targeted Harris County, which is where I live, and which is, of course, Democratic. So you called a special session to make sure your abortion bill gets passed, to make sure people have a harder time voting? Hmm, makes sense. And in while doing so, you took that time to do that rather than actually address what's killing people right now. Like, there is no fraud in voting if someone can go to a drive-thru to vote at midnight. Like, that is just accessible. That's when they get off work, and that's the only time they vote. They can vote. Why not give them access and be and say, yeah, that's your right. We want to make sure that your voice is heard in our country. But no, let's make sure we close that, make it really hard for people. Let's also make sure women don't have the right to choose um, about, you know, what happens to their body. Um, and then also, just to tip it off, let's not talk about what's killing everyone right now. Um, and what's plaguing teachers and students because honestly I know that's a touchy subject so I'm not going to talk about it and maybe people will forget about it because I know I'll be reelected or I know I'll uh, you know Republican will be elected later because this is Texas right that's the mindset and it's despicable it is despicable that's why I'm so fired up and that's why I had to get on for this week and just talk because um, I'd love to get into our guests but that will wait um, until we can figure this out. Okay. 
So that was part one. Okay, part two, what I want to talk about is much more teaching related. Um, and I want to talk about what, uh, what kind of my top takeaways from being an instructional coach so far. So pretty much my job is to go into uh, schools around the Houston area that we're partnered with. And pretty much they pay our organization to get teachers certified. And so we're required to do you know, pop-in observations, 15 to 20 minutes, some 45 minutes, all depends, and then have a follow-up 45-minute conversation with the teacher. And usually we try to focus on one, you know, basic skill. So I think the the skill that we worked on last week for most of the teachers was just, you know, getting 100%. And that's teacher lingo for, like, as a teacher, when you give directions or when you're explaining something, 100% of students need to be paying attention. A lot of first-year teachers, you know, myself included, I was a mess, um, they just start talking and expect students to be listening like it's a college class, you know, and so students will be doing whatever they want and no one will be paying attention to the teacher. So that's what we've been practicing on. Um, Sometimes we plan together and then execute it and I watch them execute it so they feel supported um, rather than kind of, we call it a reverse reverse coaching session. Um, So those are the things we'll do not only so far, but also throughout the year. My top takeaways from doing that, from meeting with the teachers, but also from being at schools from across Houston, I want to boil it down to my three takeaways that I want to share with you. Takeaway number one, virtual training does not prepare you for the real thing. In fact, nothing does. So I'm not saying that if you go through an in-person training for the summer or for a year, that you're automatically prepared for you know, first kid comes in and you know how to handle them. But I will say that virtual training on top of that is so much more difficult to prepare teachers. And if you asked a teacher who started this year, would you have preferred in-person training or virtual? They would have said in-person, right? Uh, You know, COVID, COVID aside, because a lot of the skills that you need for your first year about how to handle situations, misbehaving students, students not paying attention, you need to be in person, right? You need other adults like pretending to be students so you can practice. If I tell you across the camera, hey, pretend that you know, you're know you standing in front of a class and you're giving them directions, blah, blah, blah. You can mimic it as much as possible. And the teachers have done a really good job you know, pretending to stand up and pretending to look straight at the camera, but it's different. It's different. So a lot of teachers are really having to kind of adapt in the moment of like, wait, this is not what I was trained to do. So how, you know, what what do I do in this situation? So I've, I've had to work with teachers who are, you know, completely, uh, they weren't trained mainly because of the situation. So they're kind of caught unprepared. Um, and we're, we're trying to work on just basic skills to get them started because they didn't get that original practice. Uh, like teachers normally do, you know, if they teach for America and they go for the summer for training, or even teachers, you know, with university backgrounds, they weren't able to have that training because of this past year. Takeaway number one. Okay. Takeaway number two, retention is all about placement and support. Some districts support teachers way better than others. So I'm a firm believer that like teacher retention, yes, there's like a percentage of people who don't stay in the job, who like were never meant for the job. Maybe they just saw it as a stepping stone or, you know, they were like, oh, okay, I'll come and save some black and brown kids, you know, be a hero and then leave, right? That's, I'm not talking about those teachers because that's just a mindset issue and like a work ethic. You're just not in it. You're not bought in. And as we know, teachers, you know, if you're not willing to commit 110%, it's not going to work out very well. But I'm talking more about like 
people who I'll take a te- Teach for America teacher, for example, like a first year who's who's ready to at least commit for two years and they don't even make it past one year. And when you then when you look at these schools, and I've always been in a bubble of being in the same district where they do provide good support. You have a coach, you have a dean of instruction who supports you, you've got a dean of students who you go to for behavior, you've got a grade level chair, you've got veteran teachers, you've got principal who knows you, you've got assistant principal who knows you, that kind of thing. You always can go to someone for support. There's systems in place. Okay, if a student doesn't pay attention, this is what I do. Okay, if they still don't, this is what I do. And yes, those systems are flawed, but the framework's still there. The foundation's still built. But now that I'm going into other schools and I'm asking the teachers, like, hey, you know, this student has misbehaved like 15 times in one class and they're throwing things and they're doing whatever. Like, what do you do? What does your school do? And the fact that they're not, they said, we don't have a policy. We don't. It's either you deal with it in your class or you call the administrator and the student is removed. But there's no in-between. So, of course, these first-year teachers, they're not wanting to kick students out, especially, you know, all the students that they teach are black and brown students. So they don't want to perpetuate the already, you know, like getting on black and brown students and sending them out and kicking them out and getting getting administration involved. Of course, they don't want to do that. So instead, what they're doing is like handle, handling it, quote, handling it themselves. Um, but of course, if you are telling students, hey, you're going to get a warning from me, I'll talk to you outside, and then you'll come back into class, but there'll never be anything past that, then of course, we know what, just in the mindset of a student, what that sends. It's like, okay, it's part of time. So if you don't have that support, if you don't have someone, like some of the teachers, everything's given to them. They have their curriculum, they have what to teach, what minute, how many minutes, their schedule, everything. And then you've got teachers teaching the same grade level two miles down the street who said they haven't even given us what to teach next week. Like they're still figuring it out, which is crazy to me just to think about, of course, if that teacher quits after one year, you don't even blame them. They wanted to be an excellent teacher and they worked really hard, but they had no support. So if we want to really work on teacher retention, go into the schools and look at the inequality from some schools who just have no systems. They have no resources. They have, an, they have one assistant principal for 500 kids, and that assistant principal is in charge of behavior and instruction. It's like, well, what do you think is going to happen? How are they supposed to support the 35, 40 teachers at their school? Okay, takeaway number three, and this is how I'll close out. And of course, I'm biased. Teachers' jobs are impossible. I think as teachers, we already kind of knew that, but I want to kind of elaborate on what I mean by that. I walked into a pre-K class. So I think, what what are pre-K kids? Like four or five? Maybe even less than that? And this is what I saw. I saw a teacher who was doing a pretty a really good job for a first-year teacher. She was doing a really good job. She had 25 students. She had 15 students sitting on the floor as she was reading a story. You know, five or 10 of them are, you know, being kids and they're kind of fidgeting in their seats and they're yelling out and they're cheering and all that stuff. Exactly what you'd see in a pre-K classroom. Then you had like three students who were walking around the room, throwing things, didn't really, couldn't really control themselves. And then you had two students who were clearly, they definitely had some sort of um, 
mental, I think there was some sort of autism. Um, and the teacher had mentioned it to me and she had said that, you know, they're getting tested. Um, but because they're so young, you know, they haven't, they hadn't gotten an opportunity to test. They hadn't really diagnosed it because they had never been in school before. So this teacher, and of course those two autistic, uh, or, you know, possibly autistic kids, they weren't following direction at all. In fact, the more you told them not to, the more they wanted to do. So one actually came up to me, she was playing with my ID, she was like closing my laptop, and I tried to, you know, tell her, go sit down, go sit down. Oh, and let me tell you, the teacher's teaching in Spanish and English, and she's going back and forth. So already super tough. And so these two students are going around pulling kids hair, throwing things because they don't really know. I don't think they're processing in their head like what's going on. Um, So the teacher's trying to read a book. 15 students are on the floor. 15 kids are on the floor. She's teaching Spanish and English back and forth. And she's trying to deal with these two students who she has no training to deal with, as well as those three other students who are doing God knows what walking and running around the room. And then every five seconds, a kid's asking to go to the bathroom and they're holding their little, you know, private parts or whatever, and like itching to go and starting to cry. So I'm, I'm used to like a kind of a moody middle school classroom. And here I am with these like four year olds running around the room and the poor teacher is like doing a really good job telling them to sit down, remaining calm and all that stuff. But in my head, I was just thinking like, what feedback do I give her? How do I coach her? Because this job is literally impossible. Like, how are you supposed to, I've had teachers that say like, hey, these three students are like misbehaving because they don't understand what I'm saying because they don't speak English. But like, this is an English only class and the district has told me I have to speak only in English because the test is in English. It's like, what, what am I supposed to do that? What is a teacher supposed to do with that? Of course they're misbehaving. Of course they're disengaged. They can't, they don't understand what you're saying. We have to do something better than say, here's a group of 30 students, all on different levels, all speaking English differently, some not speaking at all, all with different behavior supports. And let's say, here, teach everyone the same way, see you at the end of the year. Teachers' jobs are impossible. Okay, well, that's enough of my ranting. I'm sorry, i um, definitely been a weird couple weeks with everything that's going on. Uh, But I'm excited to get kind of back in the normal trajectory of things back with our guest um, next week, and we'll get an international perspective and uh, talk with future guests. So as always, follow us at Tea Time with the Teacher on Instagram. Please submit questions, possible guests. I know some of you have already connected me with other guests, which I super appreciate. And we're getting back. uh, This is episode two, season two. Thank you guys for listening, staying engaged, spreading the word, following us and engaging with us on Instagram and all our platforms. Thank you so much again and have a great, great, great week.